Welcome to Mary's Cup of Tea, the self-love podcast for women. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski, an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that will inspire you to love yourself. Hello, self-lover. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure you know about my two books on self-love. If you're struggling with body image or self-acceptance, then I highly recommend you check out my first book, The Gift of Self-Love. It's a comprehensive workbook to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to love who you are. Thousands of people have this book and the five-star reviews are so amazing. They give me so much life. So I hope that this is something that can help you too. You can get it wherever books are sold by searching for The Gift of Self-Love or go to my website, maryscupoftea.com slash book. After releasing The Gift of Self-Love and reading all your positive feedback, I realized that we really needed something to keep us going every single day. So not a deep dive workbook, but maybe like a micro dose of self-love in your daily life, which is why I wrote 100 Days of Self-Love. It's a guided journal with, you guessed it, 100 prompts that cover so many areas of life, including body, identity, purpose, emotions, mindset, relationships, and more. So you can really think of it as a metaphor multivitamin, something to keep you going, or as I like to say, growing on your self-love journey. You can get this journal wherever books are sold as well by searching for 100 Days of Self-Love or go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal. It's my mission to share all the self-love tea with you, so I hope that both my books and this podcast can do just that. I used to greatly identify with terms like overachiever, high performer, type A personality, busy bee, someone who does it all, and bonus points if you look good while doing it. Now that I'm a little bit older, I find that this trap of productivity is only holding me back. So now I'm working on detaching my self-worth from my productivity, telling myself that my worth does not equal my work, but damn, it is so freaking hard because I'm afraid of losing that part of me that's able to multitask and juggle all the things. I'm worried that if I relax now, I'll lose everything that I worked hard for. I'm nervous that it'll make my friends, even my followers, see me as somehow lazy or privileged, like, must be nice to take time off. And yeah, it is really nice, and I love my flexible work schedule. But even when I'm resting, I'm still thinking about work, so is it really rest? Chasing productivity is actually holding me back. For so long, I didn't want to be average or I wasn't allowed to be average. I didn't feel good enough just as I am because, again, I was always so validated for my grades, for what I did, what I accomplished, trophies, even like in bodybuilding, always feeling this need to prove myself. So in this dire need to not be average, I started sinking into self-judgment. So many people are walking around judging themselves, judging the people around them, being on this moral high horse and feeling like we're all like these buzzing 
busy bees <laughs> and it's an endless competition of who can buzz the loudest and be the busiest. And I just think that I don't want to live my life that way. Who you are is not what you do. Your worth is not attached to your work. Your value does not lie in a number, whether that's the number of things checked off your to-do list or the amount of money in your bank account. And your output does not determine how loved you are. There's this book that I have already told you about many times. I hope that at this point you've already read it. I've recommended it to friends. If there's any book recommendation that you take from this podcast, let it be 4,000 Weeks. It's a book with a subtitle of Time Management for Mortals. And it's by this author. His name is Oliver Berkman. I really, really resonate with the way that he talks about productivity almost as like not the goal, <laughs> even though he kind of hooks people in by, you know, subtitling his book, Productivity for Mortals. Ultimately, the premise of the book is about how time is your only non-renewable resource. So how do you want to be spending it? Do you want to be checking things off of your to-do list and feeling good about yourself for a moment only to realize that that to-do list is getting longer and you never really feel satisfied with where you're at in life because there's always something else, something more that you could be doing. My favorite idea from this book is that you are an infinite being with a finite capacity. What this means is that what you can be doing with your time, the potential trajectories of your life those are endless. You could always be wishing for more, chasing more, wanting something different. But where you are now, the resources you have to work with, the path that you're on, the time and energy and attention that you have in your mind and your body, it is finite. So you have to choose very intentionally how you want to spend your time. There's a passage from this book where he writes, Productivity is a trap. Becoming more efficient just makes you more rushed, and trying to clear the decks simply makes them fill up again faster. Nobody in the history of humanity has ever achieved work-life balance, whatever that might be, and you certainly won't get there by copying the six things successful people do before 7 a.m. The day will never arrive when you finally have everything under control, when the flood of emails has been contained, when your to-do lists have stopped getting longer, when you're meeting all your obligations at work and in your home life, when nobody's angry with you for missing a deadline or dropping the ball, and when the fully optimized person you've become can turn, at long last, to the things life is really supposed to be about. Let's start by admitting the defeat. None of this is ever going to happen. But you know what? That's excellent news. He goes on to write about how now you're free. You're essentially free to choose how you want to spend your time, but you won't ever feel free to choose if you're constantly chasing productivity. That's when you're going to feel spread thin, subject to other people's <laughs> agendas, 
self-sacrificing, self-sabotaging, never living up to the potential of what you could be or should be, that is the trap. Again, that's the book 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. As always, everything mentioned in this podcast episode will be linked in the description, including book recommendations. Now I want you to think about the little things that bring you joy. Maybe it's your plants, your pets, your kids, gardening, fresh air, being out in nature in general, spending time with friends, lingering at the door, not wanting to hang up the phone and say goodbye. Notice how all of these things, whether they're people or creatures or the way that time is spent, notice how it is inherently, innately unproductive. It's almost like joy doesn't exist when things are moving fast, when they're check, 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 when they're done, 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 when they're do, do, do. It's almost like the things that are most meaningful, the things that bring us joy are actually the parts of our lives that are slowed down, where we're the most present and connected with the people we love, with our surroundings, with all five senses. That is when we feel our best, wouldn't you agree? So how dare you believe that your value lies in your output? How dare you believe that your value lies in your output if all the things that you treasure and cherish the most don't have an output? You love them because they are. You enjoy them because they just exist. You're able to rejoice in the in-between moments, not the do's and dones, but rather the doing, the process, just, just being. If you want to bring joy to the world and joy to yourself, you must trade your productivity for your presence. Let me say that again. If you want to bring joy to the world and joy to yourself, you must trade your productivity for your presence. About three years ago, I started putting together a playlist with uplifting, inspiring, and empowering songs. I originally did this for myself because I love music of all different genres, and every time I would notice a song that just made me feel good, I would add it to my self-love playlist. And now there are over 300 songs on my Spotify self-love playlist, and these tracks are perfect for when you're getting ready, trying to hype yourself up, or going through a struggle and need a reminder for how badass you are. If you love music as much as I do, then go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist to get the Spotify link. It will ask you for your email so that I can send you this self-love playlist. And full transparency, this will also put you on my email list where I send out a monthly newsletter about stuff I'm thinking about, personal things, things I don't really share on social media, and all the happenings in the Mary's Cup of Tea world. So go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist and let's start jamming to my self-love playlist together. This reminds me of another book that I really enjoyed. It's called How to Do Nothing. <laughs> Great.
great title. It's by Jenny O'Dell. And I saw, you know, just when I Googled this book, apparently Barack Obama has recommended this book. He put it up on his Instagram that he was reading it. And it made me think like, if the former president of the United States is reading a book called How to Do Nothing, then that means somebody who has, in a sense, made it, regardless of how you feel or felt about him as a president, this is somebody who went pretty far in life. Yet now he seems to be on a journey of just enjoying life as it is instead of chasing the next thing. So this book, it's called How to Do Nothing. I picked it up in the pandemic because I realized that one thing that happened or one result of COVID for me is that I started working a lot and almost burning myself out. It made me feel like I had a sense of control when everything fell out of control. And as somebody who grew up in chaos, it was like my comfort zone to try it and thrive in chaos. So that's exactly what I did. And somebody gifted me this book, How to Do Nothing. The way it's written is very academic, full of big words, my ESL brain kind of struggled to grasp it all in its entirety. I felt like every paragraph took me forever. There were times when I'm like, just get to the point. I don't understand. And then I realized maybe that is the point. Maybe the fact that I had to sit with this book passage by passage, digesting the nuances of it, maybe that is in some ways doing nothing. So this book weaves in not just like the importance of rest and not just how to do nothing, but also the way technology, the internet plays in with how we consume information, how that changes our worldview and the way that we value ourselves. Also, there's a passage where Jenny O'Dell writes, she's talking about a tree. If I remember correctly, the tree's name or how she named the tree is Old Savior. And basically this tree is there for hundreds of years. It kind of does nothing, but yet it's so grand and cool and breathtaking to like be with this tree, even though it's not doing anything. She writes, the tree provides me with an image of resistance in place. To resist in place is to make oneself into a shape that cannot so easily be appropriated by a capitalist value system. To do this means refusing the frame of reference, in this case, a frame of reference in which value is determined by productivity, the strength of one's career and individual entrepreneurship. It means embracing and trying to inhabit somewhat fuzzier or blobbier ideas. I love that word, blobbier of maintenance as productivity, of the importance of nonverbal communication, and of the mere experience of life as the highest goal. (laughs) She goes on to say, it means recognizing and celebrating a form of the self that changes over time, exceeds algorithmic description, and whose identity doesn't always stop at the boundary of the individual. That last part I kind of struggled with. I'm not quite sure what that means, whose identity doesn't always stop at the boundary of the individual. So if that resonates with you in any way, or if you understand it somehow, feel free to write me a message. I'd love to know what you think the author means by that, because I didn't quite grasp it. Let's move on to talk about some practical tips now that we've covered so much of the esoteric. 
I think at first we kind of have to trick our brains. We've been brainwashed and conditioned for so long to think that productivity is the highest virtue, that it's the best thing that we could be. So for a little bit, as you're undoing this conditioning and this brainwashing, it might help to tell yourself something like rest is productive. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know that I've done a few episodes on slowing down. That was a recent episode from last month. I'll link it in the description. I've also done an episode on dealing with overwhelm. I have an older episode also talking about productivity. I called it productivity for self-lovers because I do believe that there is a way to be productive that's also fueled by self-love and not by chasing external validation like so much of productivity is. So if you're anything like me, it'll take time before you become okay with not everything being productive. But a good starting point might be scheduling spaciousness into your day. If you have to physically go to your Google Calendar and block out time slots for pleasure and play and pause, title these time blocks as something that's going to feel compelling to your brain, like pause and go outside. And then you might feel like it's on your calendar, it's quote unquote a thing to do, so you might feel productive doing it until eventually pausing and going outside is something that you just, your soul craves, not because it makes you productive or feel any better, but just because it's good in and of itself. I like blocking out spaciousness because it makes me feel like my calendar is full and that is oddly satisfying to me. I hate to admit it, but at the same time, It gives me that giant permission slip to rest, to play, to just experience. So when you're looking at your to-do list, ask yourself, what is one thing that needs to get done in order for me to feel lighter? Just one thing. Maybe on a Saturday, it's watering your plants. On a Monday, it's sending that one email. On a Thursday, it's creating that project proposal Whatever that one, 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 one thing is, just one, (laughs) what's going to take a lot of weight off of you in order to do everything else on your to-do list without a sense of panic and anxiety, instead of trying to get everything done, what if you focus on just one thing and let that be enough? That could be a small micro step to get started on detaching your self-worth from your productivities productivities. Why did I make that plural? Who knows? So what is your one thing? And the last thing that I'm going to leave you with is actually like a big prompt. It could be a journaling prompt. It could be a thinking prompt. Feel free to write me a message and you're welcome to respond in our Mary's podcast Instagram account. So today's prompt is what are you unwilling to feel? Staying busy prioritizing productivity is helping you avoid something. What is it? What is it doing for you? I shared bits and pieces of what it does for me. So I'd love to know what that's doing for you 
and your journey on detaching your self-worth from your productivity. Hope this has been helpful. I love you so much, and I'll talk to you in the next episode. One last thing before we farewell, my self-lovers. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. You can do this by searching for the show Mary's Cup of Tea. Scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts and you'll see stars where you can click one of the stars and leave a few kind words. It just means so much to me because I'm so behind the scenes when I'm podcasting, so I don't really get to see the impact of the show unless you leave a review. And on Spotify, there's just a button that says rate the show and it'll let you put however many stars you want. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Thank you so much for supporting the show and helping me spread the gift of self-love. I love you all so much and I will talk to you in next week's episode.